Summit Church, I will never get tired of saying these words. God is at work in our church and in this city. Last weekend, we saw 2,375 people attend the launch of our Apex campus. Can we put our hands together at all campuses and celebrate what God is doing? You know, what's probably most exciting about this is of that 2,375, more than 500 of them were kids. And of that 2,375, more than 300 of them were first-time guests who had never been at the Summit Church at all. We had almost 350 of our members volunteering throughout the weekend. Y'all, if that does not get you fired up for what God is doing here, I'm not sure what will. You know, it really is amazing to see the tangible evidence of how God is using your faithful giving to advance the gospel here in the triangle and then around the world and the nations. It's like I told you last week, we're gonna do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel, which includes launching campuses and strategic areas right here in our, our home um, across the triangle. Our campus teams told you about an upcoming vote that we're gonna have for our covenant members that is gonna be about just that kind of opportunity to finance a, a future campus site, as well as uh, we need you to vote to, to approve our 2018 operating budget. Now, if you got questions this weekend, then, then some of our elders and finance team members are gonna be available at the next steps area at every campus after every service. Uh, you can always find out more information on, on both of these things at summitrdu.com forward slash members as well. Well, I am very excited because this weekend you have the opportunity to hear from your pastoral leadership team and campus pastors um, at every one of our campuses. You know, we are a multi-site church. That means we're one church that meets in many different locations. And usually in the weekend, um, I preach and either simulcast to all the various campuses. Well, a few times a year, we want you to be able to hear from uh, your campus pastoral teams there at your campus. These are people that, that uh, pray for you and they pour out their hearts for you. And so to be able to hear from their hearts about what God is doing in their lives and what they see for the campus is, is something that we just consider a real privilege. At all of our campuses, will you put your hands together gratefully in anticipation of the preaching of God's Word? Good morning, Summit Church. My name is Dustin Wells. I'm the student pastor here at the Briar Creek campus. I'm super excited to dive into God's Word with you this morning. Before we go any further, let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Many of you are thinking, I cannot believe that this guy is gonna preach without taking a few minutes to introduce himself. So I'm gonna do that right now for you guys real quick. Um, I married an amazing woman named Sarah. She, she, I overachieved in every way possible, um, which I know a lot, of, a lot of people say, but it's actually true in my life. Let me tell you how I know it's true. It's because people have like stopped correcting me. You know, like, like when, whenever I first used to say, people were like, oh no, you guys are a great couple. You're per perfect for each other. Now people are just kind of like, you know, I also, I love the Arkansas Razorbacks. So for all of you guys who watch college football, none of you should be angry at me because we lose to your teams every Saturday. And I think that I've experienced righteous anger, like Jesus flipping the tables of the temple one time in my life. Um, it happened when I was in second or third grade. Um, I can't remember exactly which. It's the only fight in which I've, I've ever thrown a punch is because somebody in my elementary school class tried to tell me that Jeff Gordon was better than Dale Earnhardt Sr. And given that I grew up in the, the mountains of West North Carolina, in the words of my dad, those are fighting words, son. But for all of you who struggle with secondhand embarrassment, 
all of you who are like in your seats squirming, like when is this guy going to talk about the fact that he's wearing a large red silk cape? Now is your moment. I look ridiculous right now. Right, like if, if I came out of the bedroom and it's, it's date night in the, in the Wells household, I was like, look at this, hun, you ready? She would not be like, oh yeah, you look so great, thank you, I feel so honored by you dressing up. No, 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 she would say, take off your cape, you look ridiculous. Why? I mean, like, it's really cute when six-year-olds run around the house going, yeah! It's like, why is it ridiculous that me as an adult why is it ridiculous for me to be wearing a cape? It's because the, old, the older you get, the more you sort of realize that you're not a hero. You see, when I was in elementary school, and I was the fastest kid in you know, the little, little tiny town of Maggie Valley, doesn't mean that I'm now the Flash. You know, the fact that I could jump on a trampoline doesn't mean that I can fly like Superman. The fact of the matter is I look ridiculous because I'm an adult and I should know by now that I'm not a hero. So as I take my cape off, which is way more difficult than it looks, oh, there we go. I want to say, though, that though by now I should know that I should be taking my cape off, I should know that as an adult that I'm not a hero, I found that the older I get, the more I want to live as though I am. Though by now it would be ridiculous for me to walk into a, a worship service and preach wearing a cape, I find that the older I get, the more that I want to live as though I am the hero. Today we're going to be in a passage called Psalm 127. So as you're turning there or clicking there or like waiting for it to come up on, on the screens, I want to tell you one principle about this psalm that's going to drive the way that we teach it. And it's this idea. If, as you're turning and as you're reading, you're going to notice that Psalm 127 has no commands. It's because Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. And a wisdom psalm functions by showing us the end of something to shape or change how we should live in the present. It shows us the end of something to show us how we should change or shape the way that we should live in the present. So real quickly, we're going to read Psalm 127. And though this passage has no commands, God through Psalm is going to scream at us, much like many of you want to scream at me, you're not the hero. Let's read Psalm 127. It's only five verses. Even a student pastor can read this. Yeah, three chuckles right there. You guys are my, my people. Here we go. Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. For he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Guys, before we, we, we dive into this and pull a few areas that Psalm is going to teach us that we're not the heroes in, would you guys pray with me and pray that God would speak through me to us this morning? Bow your heads. Lord, we thank you that as Gardner prayed and as we were reminded even in the songs we sang that today you reign and today you're on the throne, which means that we don't have to be. God, I ask and pray as the Apostle Paul prayed that my speech and my preaching would not be the persuasive words of man, but be a demonstration of your spirit. 
so that any faith may come from today would not be because of me, but because you are the one true living God. Lord, above all else, I pray that you would use this broken vessel to point all of our hearts to Jesus. For when we see Jesus clearly, we cannot walk out the same way. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. In I pray, amen. Amen, amen. We're going to dive back into verse 1. So I'm, I'm going to read it one more time. It says this, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We're going to come back to this idea of doing something in vain in two seconds. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Here in, in this verse, Solomon gives two statements that at, 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 first, at first glance look like there's kind of two random ideas. Like what in the world is building a house have to do with watching a city? I'm glad you asked that question. Many people think that the house that that Solomon's talking about here in verse 1, it could be like a nation. It could be the nation of Israel. That unless God builds the nation, those labor in vain. It could be the temple. That unless, unless God builds his house, those who build it labor in vain. But most agree that this is probably speaking about a physical structure, the physical house that would provide protection at night from thieves. In the same way, when it says that unless the, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake or stays alert in vain, the watchmen were the first line of defense against thieves. They're the first line of defense against people that wanted to come and kill, pillage, and, and destroy. The watchmen protected the city. The house protected its members. Remember the idea that the, the wisdom psalm shows us the end of something? To show how we should live in the present? What these two phrases are talking about is that we all know that we need preservation. We all know that we need protection. We all know that we need somebody to be watching at the gates. We all know that we need somebody to be building this house. But what Solomon is informing us is that you are not the hero in your preservation. You are not the hero in your preservation. Let's dive back in. At first glance, when Solomon calls something vain or pointless, vanity, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to get into in a few weeks, it could seem like, man, what is he saying is pointless here? What is, he, what, is, what is he calling vain? What is he calling pointless? And at first glance, it looks like he's calling work pointless. Hey, unless the Lord builds, those who build labor in vain. As a 16-year-old, I would have loved to have had that in my back pocket. Like, hey, Mom, unless the Lord mows the grass, those who mow it labor in vain. Like, like I would have loved to have had that and just thrown that out in my, my, my parents' face because I was a punk. Like, but Solomon in, in, in Proverbs speaks too many times against the idea of laziness for us to accept that reading. In Proverbs 10, it says that a slack hand leads to poverty. In Proverbs 26, 15, it says that the sluggard wears himself out eating in what is probably the coolest insult in the Bible. You are so lazy that you get tired eating. Where was that when I was in fifth grade in the playground? Like, that's the best comeback ever. Proverbs 12, 24 says that the diligent rule the slothful. So he's clearly not condemning work. But what is he condemning? I believe that he's condemning what, the, what those two actions are trying to produce. We're trying to condemn that we will often try to protect and preserve and hold our lives together apart from the Lord. And what Solomon is saying is that you're not the hero in your preservation. 
that unless the Lord builds the house, you build it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, you stay alert in vain. Think about this, this idea that we work, but it's not us who keeps it. I was, I was brought back to when I was a little kid around, around Christmas time. I loved Christmas time. And per- personally, like, my favorite part of Christmas, well, uh, apart from, like, the spiritual things, like, let's just, let's get that like, get out, out of the way. As a kid, I loved Christmas movies. I thought they were the best things ever. And when I'm talking about Christmas movies, I'm not the, the ones with, like, claymation. You mean, like, the ones, like, Rudolph looks like they pulled him off of a felt board, and he's like, like, those Christmas movies. There was one in particular about a snowman that was magical and brought tons of joy wherever he went. And if in your mind you heard magical snowman and you start thinking about Olaf, you need to repent right now. <laughs> the gold bearer of the snowman is Frosty, okay? We need to just establish that and get that laid down. Frosty's snowman was the best. He, he was tons of fun. He had snowball fights. And as an only child, I looked forward to building a snowman to play with. Some of you guys are like, oh, it's, it's okay. Like, I, I, I lived a great life. But so once, but every winter, I built a snowman, and no matter how hard I tried, he, he wouldn't last. He would go away. I was like, all right, this is the year. I'm going to build it perfectly and make sure that they're nice, like, shaped circles. I'm going to put the right magic hat on it. Like, and this year, he's going to stay. So I built a snowman. It may have looked something like this. Uh, probably not. <laughs> given that it was like an eight-year-old boy making it. It looked more like rectangles and circles, but it's okay, you know. And I was, I was so excited. I was like, all right, here we go. This is my year. It's my time to shine. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to build it perfectly. I'm going to put in the right sticks. There wasn't any awkward elbows. It was like just the, the arm and the hand. I had the right scarf. I had the right buttons, the right hat. I was like, man, this is it. We, we had snowball fights. He was really bad at them for some reason. Like, I was so excited. I built this amazing snowman. But the idea came in my mind. It's like, but I want this to last. And I want this, like, to be protected and preserved. So I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay out on my front porch. I'm going to look and make sure that none of the neighborhood kids come by with baseball bats and hit it and hit it down. Because that's a cruel, sick joke. Anyway, so like, here, I'm going to be like the best watchman that my snowman has ever seen. I'm going to watch after, I'm going to like make sure that it's perfectly preserved. Until the next morning, and it worked. Until the next morning, when all of a sudden, there was this dastardly enemy that came rising out of the, of the sky, a little yellow ball. And like, as I'm seeing it rise, I'm, I'm like hearing the music in my head, dun, dun, dun. And I like look at the thermometer, and it's no longer like 30 degrees, it's like, 45 degrees, which to me is letting me know that it didn't matter how hard I built, it didn't matter how hard I've like been vigilant to watch, unless the sun stayed behind the clouds, Frosty was going bye-bye. And he melted and I cried, it was great. And as I, th- as I, as I thought about that, I thought about what, what a great picture. That yes, we're called to labor, yes, we're called to watch, but if we really believe that we are the ones holding all together, we are working in vain. We're fooling ourselves. We're not the hero in our, in our, our, our preservation. We're not the hero in our protection. As so I was thinking about, man, where are the areas in my life that I'm most likely to put this cape on? 
What are the areas in my life that I'm most likely to, to believe that I'm the hero, that I believe that I'm the one holding it all together? I was brought back to a question that a mentor used to ask me all the time. And he would say, Dustin, where are the areas in your life that you're the most stressed, you're experiencing the most anxiety in? And only about you, but it never took me a long time to answer that question. I was like, well, like, here you go. And the reason he would ask that question is that for me, what I found is that my stress is almost always an indicator of where I haven't surrendered. My stress, the areas in my life that I feel anxiety in are almost always an indicator of where I haven't surrendered, of where I'm still wearing the cape, where I believe that I'm the hero holding it all together. My anxiety almost always reveals where I am seeking to be the king rather than than trusting the fact that God reigns. My anxiety almost always reveals where I am seeking to be the hero. So if I asked you that question this morning, where in your life do you feel anxiety? Where in your life do you feel stress? For some of you, you don't don't have to go back very long. It was the drive here. It was what you were battling against in worship this morning. In those areas of your life, take off the cape. You're not the hero, and that's good news. You know, verses 3 through 5 declare that our children are gifts from the Lord and that they are arrows to be launched in the hands of a warrior. And as your student pastor here at Bright Creek, that pumps me up. I believe that kids are given. I love getting to work alongside Matt Baker and partnering with you as parents to see the next generation come to love Jesus and engage on this mission. And you know what else fires me up? And it's going to sound a little weird. So like, I know I, know I wore a cape on stage, but give me a little bit of leeway here. I'm going to say something that sounds strange but I'm going to explain. It fires me up when people say that the church is always one generation away from extinction. You're like, whoa, Dustin, this took a morbid turn. Let me tell you why that fires me up. Because if that's true, that means the inverse is true as well. That the church could be one generation away from completing and fulfilling the Great Commission. That this next generation could be the ones to take the gospel to places that we could never imagine. That this next generation could fulfill the Great Commission. And guess what? I believe right now that there are kids in kids ministry and students in student ministry that will bring the gospel to places that you and I couldn't dream of. Kids are a gift from the Lord. They are arrows to be launched, and we love partnering with you to launch them. But the question beckons, what are we doing with our gifts? You know, last week, Pastor J.D. gave a charge that kind of hit me in the mouth. I don't know about you guys, but he said that your friends are your future selves. As I was praying that over our students, I was kind of praying this tension of, man, I, I think that most of our students are being shaped and formed at school and are just visiting church on the weekends. And for, for me, as, as a student pastor speaking to some parents in the room right now, please, please, please make this place your kids' community. Make this place the place that they are being shaped and formed and let them go be sent into their schools as arrows. Make this place a priority in your life, not just some place to visit. Let this place be what shapes and and, and informs the arrows that God wants to launch into our schools, our sport teams, and our neighborhoods. 
But I also believe that for some of us parents in here, that because we're trying so hard to hold it all together, we're trying so hard to protect our kids from the world, that we accidentally are protecting our kids from the very opportunities that God wants to use them in. That we can swing that pendulum so far the other way, and we can try so hard to keep them and make them perfect and protect them from everything that could, that could attack them, that we actually end up prohibiting the kingdom of God being advanced in their lives, not helping. For some of us in the, in today, when you think about your kids and how, and how you're, you're trying to protect and preserve them, you need to take off the, the, the cape. You're not the hero. As I think about more parents that I, I've prayed with recently, and for some of us in, in, in this room, it's also this, this, this pressure to, to think that we have to hold it all together and have perfect kids and a perfect family. And it's on us to make sure that all the clothes are put away, which never happens at my household because I'm the world's worst at that. Like, we, we feel all this pressure to have a perfect house, a perfect family, perfect kids. We perfectly obey all the time. And what happens is that we, we take these gifts that God's given us, and rather than cherishing them, we start choking them. We're, we're asking our kids to be something that, 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 that they can't be. And rather than cherishing the light that God's given them, we start putting so much pressure on them to perform and meet our idolatry. We start choking the gifts that God's given us rather than cherishing these gifts. For many of us in this room, we need to be reminded that we are not the heroes in our families. Yes, we do devotions. Yes, we pray. Yes, we engage in spiritual conversations. But their salvation, their obedience is not on you, and it doesn't, it's not your worth. Your kids aren't the hero. You're not the hero of their preservation. There's a better hero, and his name is Jesus. There's a second area in which Solomon cautions us to not be the hero in, though. And I want to get there. Let's, let, let's start reading in verse 2. It says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Now, once again, this, this seems kind of odd. Like, Solomon's calling something vain. It doesn't make sense. Is he saying that it's, it's bad to rise up early and go, and go to bed late? Well, let me tell you, once again, as a high school student, I would have loved to have this in my back pocket. My mom was like, hey, Dustin, tomorrow you need to wake up at 6 a.m., you know, do some household chores. I would love to have said, hey, Mom, it's in vain that you rise up early and go, and go, go late, late to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil. Mom, I don't want to eat the bread of anxious toil. I'm going to wake up about 8 o'clock. Like, I, I would have loved to pull that out of my back pocket, once again, because I was a punk. But Solomon here is not condemning rising up early or going to bed late. He's not looking for like the perfect like eight to eight you know, bed, you know, sleep cycle. What Solomon is calling out here though is what those two things often seek to produce in us. Is that Solomon is, is declaring that we are not the hero in our provision. That you're not the hero in your provision. See, often when we try to wake up early or go to bed late, it's our effort to do more, to toil harder, to be better, to try harder in order to provide. As I was thinking about just, you know, this, the, this tension that kind of gets introduced here in verse 2, it's brought back to the fact that my wife and I are pregnant right now um, with our, our first, um, she's about 30 weeks pregnant, I had a little girl named Molly, super pumped about it. Um, when, I, when I found out, I was like, 
running around the house, you know, screaming. Like, like now I'm kind of straddling that line between like thrilled and terrified, which I've heard is like a pretty good place to be. But when, when I found out, I was like, yeah, like, like running, like, you know, like probably wearing a cape. I don't know. Like I was like, yeah, like calling my parents. But then like the elation kind of went down and Sarah went to bed and I was kind of like let there in the, in the recliner. And I was like, wait a second. Um, so this is like one more mouth to feed. And, and rumors have it that they're going to need a few diapers. Oh, my goodness. Like, and I, I, start, like I started freaking out. Like, man, I, I feel like there, there's a need that I need provision for. And I would love to say that I was like, no, listen, Lord, you got this. I'm going to go to bed. But that wasn't my reaction. My reaction was, man, on, on the one day off I have a week, can I, like, mow grass? On, can, I, can I, like... Maybe early in the morning or, or late, late at night, can I teach an online cast? Lord, I mean, I need to provide. I need to try harder. And what I, what I was confronted with when, you know, reading through this passage is that my response and our reaction towards need is often not to trust, but it's to toil. When we feel as though we're experiencing need, our reaction often isn't like, Lord, I trust you. It's how can I be better? How can I, how can I try harder? How can I wake up earlier? How can I go to bed later? How can I do more? We wind up eating the bread of anxious toil. But Solomon says that that is vain. It's pointless because God gives his beloved sleep. But once again, this, this feels like it doesn't line up. Like, obviously, we, we're not called to be lazy. And Dustin, it is on me to, to, to help provide. Like, we don't just lay down at night, and all of a sudden, like, God just, like, magically from heaven floats down money into our bank account or floats food into our table. Oh, that would be pretty sweet. So what is Solomon saying here? What does it mean for us to try to self-reliance, us in independent, try to pr- provide for ourselves, He's condemning that. So what does it mean for us to experience the rest of God? As I was thinking about that, like this tension of we have to provide, but God says that we can rest. I thought about the 1990s Chicago Bulls. Any of you guys basketball fans in here a little bit? Cool, like four of you raised your hand, and we got to do some work. The 1990s Chicago Bulls had one player in particular, though, who was a baller. He was the greatest of all time. His name was... Michael Jordan, you guys were the best service about that. At the 10, 10 a.m., there was, like, one person. I had to, like, like, hey, we're from North Carolina. We should know this. Like, you know, it was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. LeBron James is not worthy to lace up Michael Jordan's shoes, okay? Like, he is the best player of all time. Yeah, 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 go ahead. But there was another player on the 1990s Bulls team named Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr was like a six-foot-one white dude who had one job on that team. He was going to shoot threes. My man was a shooter. But Steve Kerr played the game of basketball with such freedom, such joy, with no stress, because when push came to shove, guess who he knew he had on his team? Michael Jordan. He knew that when, even if it looked like all the chips were down, he had the best player of all time next to him. He had Jordan, so he could still play the game of basketball, but know that it wasn't on him to win the game. He could embrace his role. 
So family, we will only experience true rest when we embrace our true role. When it comes to our family's preservation, when it comes to our provision, we are not Michael Jordan. We're Steve Kerr. Yes, we are out there trying. Yes, we're out there playing. Yes, we're out there doing our best. But when push comes to shove, we have a much better teammate named Jesus who has already provided for us lavishly. We can clap about that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and we will only experience the rest that God promises when we embrace our true role. But for some of you guys in this room, as you hear me talk about the fact that God provides, and specifically the way that this passage wraps up in verse 3 through 5, talking about how God provides children, and children are a gift from the Lord. Some of us, when we read that, it's, it's not encouraging. Some of us, it can actually be discouraging. It can be painful. If I'm being completely honest with you guys, as I've been preparing this message, this next few minutes has been the hardest thing for me to wrestle with. Because I've sat next to family members and friends who've experienced infertility and miscarriages. And those moments, I, I, I can, if I'm being very honest, I feel real anger. Like, Lord, why? Like, why? Like, why haven't you provided? And for some of us, when, when you're hearing me say that, that God is the hero of your provision, that doesn't feel like good news. It feels like, man, he is cruel. As I've wrestled through this, as I, as, I, as I talked and prayed with Pastor JD and our other campus pastors, I felt like the Lord just gave me a few things I want to pass on to you guys, if, that, if this is where you're at. The first one is that I want to remind you that real satisfaction here on earth can never come from having a child. It can only come from being God's child. Isaiah 54, 1 says this, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. This passage teaches us that because of the work of God, through his servant king, Lord Jesus, there will be a time of joy and singing, even for those who have experienced infertility and barrenness. Because the work of the king is far better than anything that this world can offer. These light and momentary afflictions will be surpassed by the weight and the sight of glory. For those of you guys who, man, what I'm describing is right now. One of the things that I have found is that it's so easy to feel alone. That no one understands. And, you're, and, you're, and you're, you're, your friends are not very helpful. Sometimes they actually end up rubbing the pain in. I want to remind you that Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a great and compassionate high priest who, who can sympathize with us in our times of, of need. And sometimes we are tempted to think that we have a cruel withholding tyrant, but we don't. We have a compassionate high priest who right now is making intercession for you at the Father. He's praying for you right now. And guess who he's praying to? He's praying to a God who knows what it's like to lose a child. So if you feel like no one understands, take comfort in the fact that right now, King Jesus is praying to someone who understands fully what it's like to lose a child. And the last thing we need to be reminded of is, though when we speak of infertility and when, when we speak of um, miscarriages and we, we speak of the, the fact of the, the lack of family, we often teach that the church is like an alternate. Like the church is kind of like a backup. Like, well, hey, at least you have God's family. At least you have the church. And what Pastor J.D. reminded me of is, like, that's just not the way that the Bible or Jesus talks about God's family. 
He never talks about them in a way that they're like a backup, like, well, at least you have this. He talks about them all the time as the pinnacle family. Jesus says in the Gospels to his mom and brothers, who are my family except those who obey and do the will of God? In the words of Pastor J.D., I mean, as he's kind of like phrasing this and ending it, he said, in heaven, we won't be married, no one will call me dad, but everyone will call me brother. If I can make it even a little, little, little more Western North Carolina for you guys, blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. So right now, if I've been preaching, if you have felt the pain of feeling like, man, God is not providing for me, especially in the context of verses three through five, I may just for a minute to remind you that today you can rejoice in a God who has provided you for you a family here on earth that's in this room. May I remind you that you can rejoice in the fact that there's a God who right now understands your pain and is not unsympathetic to, to your needs. And that right now you serve a God who has provided for us one day a great house with a great family in which we will all worship and be brothers and sisters worshiping our true Heavenly Father. That to right now, today, even in the midst of it, it looks like there's no provision, God has provided and that he is the hero. But Solomon ends this psalm with a really interesting line. He ends this this psalm with saying, the blessed man will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You see, the gate was the area of town where they would settle judicial disputes. And Solomon is basically saying that I know I will not be overcome by my enemies because I have tons of sons back here in my quiver. So if nothing else, when my enemies are before me at the gate, I know that they will not overcome me, they will not crush me, because I have tons of allies back here who will have my back. And the question that I want us to consider for a few minutes is do we have that same confidence when we face our enemies? When we're looking rough circumstances straight in the face. And when we're, we're looking at doctors' phone calls straight in the face, when we're looking at, at, at job situations that, that are pulling our hair out, and when, when we're looking at debt and bills, we're looking at the lack of being able to have a child, when we're looking at our enemies, our insecurities dead in the face, do we have the confidence that Solomon did that we will not be overcome? You see, Solomon is describing a firm footing in in the presence of his enemies. If I can be honest, I feel like very often I feel very fragile. I feel like when I I look at at the enemies at my gate, I'm like, oh man, like, oh, this is gonna hit, it's gonna gonna hit me this time. I'm gonna be crushed. Some of the family, we can have the confidence that Solomon had. Because our God did something that Solomon never did. Our God, when faced with his enemies, allowed his enemies to overcome him. Our God, rather than calling down his allies, Jesus, while he was on the cross, rather than calling down 12 legions of angels to come crush his enemies, allowed his enemies to crush him. That Jesus, though he, could have, though he could have saved himself and crushed us, allowed his hands to be pierced on our, for our transgressions. That though Jesus had every right, that God had every right to come and wipe out his enemies, he allowed his enemies to crucify him, and while hanging on the cross said, forgive them, they know not what they do. 
Smith family, we can stand firm in the presence of our enemies, not because of the amount of sons behind us, because of the true son who went before us. We can stand firm because Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. This morning, you can take your cape off. You're not the hero. It's not about you. It's all about him. And that is good news. I don't know about you, but though I, I, I like to pretend that I should be the hero, I am thankful that I'm not. I'm thankful I can be reminded this morning from Solomon that I'm not the hero in my preservation. I'm not the hero in my provision. And ultimately, this life's not about me. It's all about him. And there's a far better hero for Dustin Wells. There's a far better hero for Summit Church. There's a far better hero for my family than what I can, what I can provide. And today, I can rest in him because I know that I am found in him. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that today is not on us to be the hero, that today we do not have to be the ones to hold it all together, that today you have given us your son. Lord, if we ever should doubt provision, all we need to do is look at the cross where you ultimately provided, Lord. God, I ask right now that your spirit would move and your spirit would show us where are the areas in our life that we are seeking to be independent, where are the areas in our life that we are seeking to be self-reliant, where are the areas in our life that we are seeking to be the hero. Or where do we feel like we are crumbling under the weight of trying to hold it all together? Lord, I pray that today we would simply and humbly surrender to you. God, that we would, we would lay these things down at your feet. That we would stop pretending to be the king of our lives. And that we would submit to the king who reigns over all. Lord, help surrender to not be a checkbox that we check, but help it to be a lifestyle that we do daily. Lord, we're not the hero. You are. Thank you that, that, thank you, that you, you preserve. Thank you that, that you, you, you provide. And thank you that today we can find life, hope, and strength in you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Now I pray. Amen.